A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to the game. I'm Gabriel Marcotti with a football podcast from the Times where Premier League fans can get every goal, every game, everywhere. Don't forget you can catch the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else simply by downloading the Times app to your smartphone and then presumably pushing some buttons as well. A big welcome to my uh, guests, Alison Rudd, Rory Smith, who's uh, at some um, service station somewhere in the provinces after uh, attending uh, um, the classic game between uh, Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich this weekend. And also, I'm delighted to welcome for the first time James Scowcroft, part-time academy coach at Ipswich. And of course, you remember him from his days at Ipswich, at Leicester, and at Crystal Palace. In fact, I remember him at Leicester viciously assaulting Mauricio Torrico, brutally assaulting him. Uh, but we'll get to that You've in a minute. Memory. There's one place to start, since people love chucking out stereotypes and crash-bang wallop and all that stuff. Everton and Liverpool. Now, we've heard all the stereotypes of Merseyside Derby. Many years of living in this country, sometimes... I think it turns out into a turns into a dull kick fest. Other times you get a lot of end-to-end action. I watched this one on television, Rory, and afterwards there they were, David Ginola, whatever, and they're all saying, this is the best game of the season by far, blah, blah, blah. Now, I can't decide where I need you to help me. Was it a good game or was it a game which involved a lot of running around but some absolutely horrid, horrid defending from, from two managers Brendan Rodgers, and I think especially Roberto Martinez, who really should know better. Well, it depends what you want in a good game, isn't it? It was exciting. It was. It was. Can I not have both? Can I not have both? I think the very best games have both. So I wouldn't classify it as one of the sort of greatest games of all time or anything like that. It was exciting. It was good to watch. But no, if you're looking for kind of quality, it was relatively lacking. Apart from maybe the delivery on the set pieces, which was pretty good. Uh, Lukaku did all right, but missed a lot of chances. Mignolet did okay, but then messed up for for the second goal, I think. And James, when you when you watch a game like this as a coach, do you watch it differently than you did as a player? Do you do you do you point out perhaps certain mistakes more, certain positive runs and movements more? Without doubt, I think. Um... You know, if you look at six games, especially in the Premier League these days, when a lot of teams cancel each other out to just have a 3-3 draw, especially in a high-profile game like that, I think it's a common pattern that's starting to develop this season, certainly this weekend. The defending at set pieces were very, very poor. But if you look at both managers, they both play an expansive game of football, so maybe we shouldn't be surprised that you know there's six goals being scored. Yeah, but if they're scored on set pieces, it's got nothing to do with the football. Well, that set pieces is one thing that, that is quite simple to, to organise and to stop. You'd like to think there's a lot of managers that pride themselves 
in, in set pieces, A, scoring and B, defending. You know, the new Crystal Palace man, Tony Pulis, I'm sure if he was manager of either side, they wouldn't have conceded the goals they would have done because he would have been more organised. So set pieces, I think it's up to 80% of goals are scored from set pieces either the first phase or the second phase where it's cleared. So it just shows you how important it is to get the you know, the marking right. But did you enjoy it? Or did you did you go, oh, do you have your head in your hands going, oh, the defending's a bit small? <laughs> no, you have to do it. There's two sides of football. One's when you have the ball and one's when you don't have the ball. And they're equally as important. And, you know, we talk about teams when they have the possession and keeping, but you have to defend. And, and everybody these days, whether you're a centre forward, a goalie, you are a defender when you haven't got the ball. So it spoiled your enjoyment then? Yeah, look at looking at it now. I, I, you just shake your head. How so simple goals, and and it's a it's actually an area as well, which you know, coach I used to call it Pomo, place of maximum opportunity, and it's actually the area just past the near post space where you, if you can clear that area, we saw Patrick Everest scored for Manchester United, the lad for Cardiff got the equaliser in that area as well, Lukaku scored a goal, where people just aren't marking that area, they're not standing with their own. If you can get good delivery, which someone like Wayne Rooney and other players can do, it's a great area to attack. All right, I wasn't going to go back to this, but you've kind of neatly set me up for it, also by bringing up uh, Charles Hughes and Charles Reap and all that good stuff. Now, Rory and I, are it's one of the areas that we agree on, but um, it seems to me that when you give up a goal on a set piece, as Arsenal did when they played Manchester United, and you happen to defend zonally, Zonal marking is a horrible system and it's weird and stupid and foreign and the kind of thing that fools like Rafa Benitez do. When you give up a goal on a, on a man-to-man system, it's simply because you lost your man. And it's never a question of, well, should you as a manager maybe have defended that corner differently, given your players different instructions? I mean, in light of what you said about Pomo and the fact that, especially if the other side are, are better than you aerially, might it not make sense to put, you know, your, your two best headers of the ball into the two areas where the world ball's likeliest to go and then have everybody else attack the ball, which is... Well, that, that, that's, blocking, which is the that point is actually marking. the key. I think where people go wrong with zonal marking, people think zonal marking is standing still and attacking a space. You don't actually have to stand still in zonal marking. You, you can be... That can be your area, but you can actually be on the move. And But the key thing is... You have to, if you're going to mark zonally, you have to get somebody 10 yards away from the corner kicker who's then going to jump and make it harder for that to whip it into a space, if you understand him. If you get somebody who's going to put him, he then has to float the ball in, and that's easier to defend than somebody like Wayne Rooney's corner yesterday, where it's a fantastic um, ball in with great pace and speed. You know, if you get somebody on the run, it's very, very hard. Where if it's floated, it becomes a lot easier to defend. So if Martinez, and I, and I don't remember if I did this, but I will go and check the Times app later on the goal. If, if he had basically had one of his, say, taller players go and, and, and stand as close as possible to the to the corner kick taker, perhaps the ball would have come in at a different angle and it might have been treated differently? Yeah, you'd, you'd like to think so. And if you can, and what it does, it, it gets in the corner kick kicker's head as well. If you've got someone 10 yards away jumping up and down, all of a sudden mentally that's affecting the person who's taking the corner. Brendan Rodgers took the controversial step to not only mark, I think I presume Liverpool marked in zonally, 
but Brendan Rodgers left his best header of the ball on the bench throughout, despite the fact that he was playing against Romelu Lukaku, who is a fairly obvious threat. Now, For some reason, they didn't play you're Sacco. F- you're referring to Sacco, of course, who was uh, presumably very tired from his exertions uh, uh, with uh, with France. Can- oh, well, maybe, his, maybe he just didn't look up for it. That seems to be Brendan Rodgers' theme of the weekend, you- only playing the players who are... Quotes up for the derby. To be fair, on this point though, and the marking of Glenn Johnson on Lukaku got some stake. I I had some of those um, Liverpool analytics nerds on my timeline pointing out that Glenn Johnson is actually statistically Liverpool's best header of the ball, or certainly the best header of the ball, who was on the pitch, which surprised me. But um, you know, you don't you don't necessarily need to be six foot five to. No, 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 not right? at all, not at all. I, I think that's that's especially a myth defensive. Of, yeah, yeah, it's the way you attack the ball is the key. It's, it's not really all about height, but I think if you look at Liverpool, they're always going to score goals. It's that can they can consider, can they keep clean sheets? That that is going to determine, I think, or define how well they're going to finish the league, how high up. Well, Castorino says in the paper today that the problem with Liverpool is that they, they always give their opponents chances, and that, that is true. They've started the season very impressively, especially going forward, but they, they do seem to be unable to, to stop the opposition having chances. And while, while the goals came from set pieces, so you, you tend to look at the kind of the, the marking systems and what have you, to look at the number of chances that they, yeah. that they gave Everton, I think the, the, the bigger question might be the midfield, yeah. which isn't, isn't shielding the, the defence at all. This is an angel thing. It's true what you say, right? Because without Mignolet, Everton could have had five or six. I think it's a hypothetical discussion, but as well as Mignolet is playing, it's difficult to say that another goalkeeper wouldn't have made those saves or would have, you know, it's entered into that kind of butterfly effect, chaos theory thing. But I would say that the greater concern for Liverpool should be that Mignolet has to do so much. That is, that's troubling. Now, Joe Allen had a, you know he had a bad miss where evidently he didn't see Suarez or he decided to take it himself. I'm kind of interested in, in, in Allen Allison because of course when he signed for for Liverpool, Brendan Rodgers spent a huge amount of money on him, um, and this was obviously a guy he knew inside out and whatever else. I don't know how to read this. Is it to Rodgers' credit that then he said, "All right, this isn't working. I'm going to drop him," and Allen disappeared from the starting lineup for a long time. You know, wait for him to get his head right or whatever. Wait for me to figure out a way to use him, and then brought him back in, or should Allen really be playing somewhere else? I didn't like the signing of Allen. This happens with every manager, and no matter which manager it is, they will always bring, try and bring the player that they relied on most heavily at the club beforehand with them to their new club. But it often works. Look at Fabio Barini. He was fantastic for Liverpool, right? (laughs) Exactly. No, it can. can. Obviously, sometimes it does work. Mostly, I think it it smacks of narrow-mindedness and insecurity, that you, you are not enough you don't have enough faith in yourself as a manager to do it with the 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 staff you have inherited at the club you're going to especially if it's a bigger club and the money you're given that you can't spend it more wisely and 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 I suspect even at the stage where Rogers was discussing his new appointment the whole money available for Joe Allen was part of that conversation and I think a lot of managers do that and they speak to the board and they say, yeah, 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 this is all looking good, but of course I really need player X to come with me. And Joe, I, Joe Allen worked for Swansea at that time. Swansea was full of diddy men playing in a diddy man sort of way. He, he looked a, lo- a lost little boy when he arrived at Anfield and I thought Rogers was quite slow to appreciate the fact. And the fact that he's coming back in 
when Liverpool are more or less on the ascendancy is 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 not necessarily a, a clever or wise move. It might be a loyal one. I don't I don't see it working yeah, long to, term. To, to be fair to Liverpool and to Rogers, it's not like he's got you know five Graham Sudis and Steve McMahon's there to choose from. You know he only has I think effectively four central midfielders. Yeah, but what I don't. All and, right, someone say it, to me, someone tell me what Joe Allen bring brings to Liverpool. Do, they do don't you not have think already. that is? You know, look at look at David Moyes bringing in Mario Fellaini. Do you not think that is down to the lack of time managers do? So, so they can't get it right. They can't get it wrong. They haven't got the time to think. Well, I like him, but he's a gambler. I don't know what he's like. I don't know what he's like off the pitch. I don't know what sort of makes him tick. He looks good, but you need to know so much about a player these days. And that is why so many at all levels, right away from the top all the way through, will go with players that they know because they don't have that time to get it wrong. Well, that, that's a fair, that is a fair point, but I do I do feel this sort of comfort blanket thing. It's like a toddler who won't go to his nursery unless you give him his favourite teddy bear. You know, get a grip. Alison, as I made it a point not to bring up refereeing decisions because I'm sure we'll be picking on referees <laughs> enough time. Do you? Would you ever I, do d- that? Until this point. <laughs> Kevin Morales and Luis Suarez, I'm assuming there's nobody sane here who believes that he should not have been sent off, right? But what I find interesting is what Roger said afterwards. He said, had it been Suarez, he would have been off. Now, is that an appropriate thing for a manager to say? And what's he trying to say by that? It, he shouldn't have said it. And it would have been much... So would you find him yeah, now uh, if you were the? Uh, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, it'd be much classier if Rogers had just said, I, "I, you know, I felt it was a sending off. Uh, should have been a sending off. Never mind. It was a great game and move on." Because to bring in Suarez, it's a. It makes it look like he's got a chip on his shoulder, and those days have gone. Suarez is now getting lots of positive publicity for an stunning performances week in, week out. His behaviour's been good. I don't really see that it helps to sort of remind everybody that he's got this bad boy image and that almost he's almost saying, you know, in a parallel universe, this derby could have been Suarez, who everyone was expecting Suarez to be the one that made the horrible horror tackle. And if he had made a horror tackle, of course, he'd been sent off because everyone hates him. It was just Do you think he would have ridiculous. been sent off? If it was the other way around, do you think he would have been no, sent No, no. If you accept that point, you're saying that referees go into games with agendas. And I, I 100% no, well, I don't think that's agenda, true. But I think in that split second where they've got to make a decision, players' reputations do go before them. No. I'm, I'm inclined to agree with James, but I would, I would say that I don't think Suarez would have been sent off for that tackle because my interpretation of the reason that Marais wouldn't wasn't sent off at that tackle is because it wasn't two-footed. And I think referees are now so blinded by this determination not to have anything that's even remotely two-footed that you are essentially given carte blanche to do what you like as long as one of your legs is on the floor. To tell you what would have happened, if that's the other way around and it's Suarez, all of a sudden you've got 38,000 Everton fans screaming blue murder for five seconds. Now, I don't care what you say, that affects the referee's decision. You know, I, I, I buy that. Now, that but doesn't mean people, it's right. That doesn't mean it's right, but it does happen. I, a final word on Lukaku. We forget, Lukaku's still 20 years old. And I, I don't know if you've had a chance to speak to him. I'm, I have. He's one of the brightest. I don't know, when I talk to him, he's still a teenager. He's one of the brightest teenagers I remember speaking to. Uh, admittedly, I don't speak to many teenagers these days, but um, let alone one of the brightest teenage footballers. What is he lacking? Well, nothing, obviously, is he, really? It's, um, I guess, I mean, his hold-up play maybe isn't quite quite what it should be, and occasionally he, he kind of, um, he makes the wrong decision when he, when he seems to have too much time. I think he's he's still a little bit uncertain. But no, I mean, they're, they're tiny flaws. There's not much that he needs to do. But I, I, I think, for I don't buy into all this criticism of, uh, you know, Mourinho for allowing to loan him out. I think he was, I think... Mourinho suddenly found himself with with four strikers. Lukaku is the youngest, the one who would most obviously benefit from a loan a loan spell. 
So he, he kind of became the obvious choice. And the, the other thing is, of course, that he's taking points off teams in and around Chelsea. So he's doing quite a good job for Chelsea at the moment. Hey, Manchester City and Spurs. Now, it's interesting because um, some of you may know is work a lot in the U.S. media around football and people are like, oh, surely this is the game of the weekend, not the Merseyside Derby because it's no longer 1985. I expected fantastic end-to-end skill and scoring. It all came from one team. Uh, Rory, why was this game so, so one-sided? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a, an odd question. Um, because City scored in the first 15 seconds and that changed the entire atmosphere. It basically ruins everyone's plans. Uh, because City are extraordinarily good at home, they're extraordinarily good going forward. Because Alvaro Negredo is a lot better than everybody thought he would be. Uh, because Spurs are playing Vertonghen at left back. Because Spurs generally haven't gelled at all the new signings. They don't seem to have a, a particular kind of plan in place. Because Vias Boas looked a little bit lost. There's loads of reasons. James, Vos Boas, I thought he was good. He came out and he said that he was ashamed, that the whole team should be ashamed. I'm interested. I I don't know if you've have you you've been on the back of some enormous losses, as I recall. Not. <laughs> I. Well, what was the it'd biggest? It'd be really nice to him, aren't you? No, but it's he, not, he's not your come fault. On the show, you'd, uh, you'd fouled Maurizio Tarico, and you've been <laughs> on the end of some enormous losses. No, oh, but, complex here. Well, but didn't <laughs> well, 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 didn't you lose a game seven one or something? Uh, Ipswich or no? The Ipswich lost nine 0 to Manchester United. I was a young lad. I was, I was in the I wasn't in the squad that day. Okay, okay. all right. Sorry, I've I've suffered a few defeats. Everybody right. has. How what what happens after that? Especially when you suffer a defeat, not because you travel away to Manchester United, but because you play somebody who's supposed to be your equal. Every team will lose games of football. It's how you lose it. It's the way you go back. But the most important thing is how you bounce back. And if you look at probably you know the classic example is Alex Ferguson. His career, you know, suffered. I can remember them getting beaten five 0 at Newcastle. You have to bounce back the following week. That that is the but most. How important. do you do that? I mean, what what what. what I mean, it's, it, you're imagining, we're, we're talking, we're taping right now Monday morning, right? I presume they have this morning off. Yep. Um, I, I don't think they will have this morning. But, okay. When, when AVB talks to his guys, do you read the right act? Do you just say, all right, look, it's come and gone? And then maybe he privately goes and looks at what he could have done differently? Do, do you try to work on the players or do you trust in the fact that these are professionals and they're already aware of what happened and... You know, you don't need to have a go at the pride, just maybe give them different instructions next time around. Well, you have to be careful because they'll be very low. They'll be on the floor, the confidence will be low. So if you shoot them down even more, you've then they've got a massive game next Sunday at home to Manchester United. So it's a big, big game. I think the key thing, looking at the game and looking at the two teams, and I think Phyllis Boas has to take some responsibility, the tempo that Tottenham played with was at a snail's pace almost, and the tempo that Manchester City played with was breathtaking, especially counter-attacking, going forward. You know, I watched the goals last night. You know, they drive through, and if it's Torre from midfield or somebody, somebody triggers it off, and they break forward, and it might be a quick pass or a five-yard sprint, and then that tells all the other players we're going forward. And if you look at the pace that Manchester City, you know, broke in, the, especially in the final third in Tottenham's half, it was breathtaking. But Tottenham so just you, didn't do that. Are you saying that Tottenham should have? also played at a high tempo because presumably in theory that that would be suicide if you're if you're the visiting team at the etihad stadium you have to slow things down you have to absorb pressure you have to act yep. more but how are you containing. Gonna well you you you're 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 thinking only of keeping a clean sheet or keeping the score down that's yeah, your first priority I, I, isn't it I, I, at the etihad i at agree the with you so what you do is you set your back four up you defend deep you get your midfield 
five probably. Um, you defend deep and then you counter-attack. The best, best example ever of this was Chelsea going to the new Camp where they just sat behind and then they counter-attacked. If you look at Torres's his final goal, you know, they win the ball, bang, so trigger into the, uh, the centre-forward, someone will go and, and your new counter-attack, you're sucking all the pressure. And this is why Man City have struggled this season. West Ham, although the results aren't going, West Ham's performance at Tottenham was one of the fantastic examples where everybody sat behind the ball and when we, when we win the ball, because teams play an expansive game, there's, there's spaces to attack, you then counter-attack. You come from midfield and your front two, three, maybe a midfield player, you counter-attack. You still keep that shape, you still keep a back four, maybe two midfield players in front. But I think Man City, the way they did it to Tottenham, you know, because if you look at the game, Tottenham had more possession. So what Man City actually did was sat back, defended, and when we win the ball, we're going to counter-attack. I think to an extent it's academic, though, because Tottenham may not have planned to play as they did, but you can see the goal within 15 seconds and all of your plans go out of the window to suddenly you're chasing. So, you're, you, as James says, your, your first kind of duty, your first responsibility is to, to keep a clean sheet. You lose that through a kind of avoidable error in the first 15 seconds and and what we, you suddenly have to think on the on, on the fly and that's what, what Tottenham couldn't do. They couldn't adapt to, to, the, to the change situation. So... I, mean, it's easy. I also I know it's a heavy defeat for Tottenham, but if you look how they've done this season, their the build-up play is so slow, and they got Salgado up front. And yeah, his true. record for Valencia was 52 goals, where 51 of them came within the 18-yard box. And if you're gonna, I, I think Torres has had this problem at, at Chelsea, and I think it's actually changed this season. They were so slow to get the ball to him. By the time he actually did get the ball, he's, he's marked yeah, but, the, the opposition are in place. But that's and I, where, that's kind of where. I mean, Soldado's comfortable. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not a toy. He's not a Jermaine Defoe who's going to play on play on the counter. You know, he's he's the kind of guy who disappears and then reappears in the box. He's kind of like a. Somebody described him to me as like sort of a, a pocket-sized version of Ruud van Nistelrooy, the guy you don't see, but then who'll just make and who isn't necessarily quick, but who'll make one step in the right direction and and find that sort of little pocket of space to to shoot on goal. But defenders will. will will plug up those pockets of space. This is what's happening in the Premier League at the moment. It, it, virtually everyone plays uh-huh. the same system. Everyone gets behind the ball and there are no spaces. OK, but this is Martin Demichelis back there, not Vincent Company. There was a, Obviously, there was a major breakdown with Spurs. They weren't getting in the ball and maybe it was... As some have suggested, a, a, a lack of a lack of width. We talk about counter-attack. If you look at Gareth Bale, he was probably the best player at it who could all of a sudden turn defence into attack within four yeah, or five seconds. What? Who wants to be a Lamezoid? I mean, a Lamezoid team that goes and plays on the counter-attack all the time. I mean, I, I, I think... I think, think that's modern-day football. I, I honestly do. You really think so? Yeah, I do. I, I think okay, more and well, more teams will now might, counter-attack teams. I might suggest Borussia Dortmund. They break well on the counter, but they don't play on the counter. Barcelona... Bayern Munich, Manchester United always broke. I mean, I'm thinking before in the Ferguson years, they broke well on the counter, but they certainly weren't a sit back, park the bus sort of team. I mean, don't you think there's there's a lot of examples of teams that Arsenal, another team that, you know, they don't sit back and defend. I mean, do you really think the game's going in that direction where it's? I do. You know, if Arsenal are going to play one of the teams that's in the bottom three, of, they're not going to sit back. They're going to have a lot of possession. But the teams that are playing against them, I, I just feel the way the Premier League is setting up at the moment, 70% of games, if you ask the manager beforehand, would you take a point? I think most of them, if they're pretty honest, would say, yeah, I would. That's kind of depressing, actually. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, 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 I think James is backed up by stats. I know James doesn't like reliance on stats, but there's an increasing amount of analysis of matches where they say afterwards, oh, the team that lost, they had more possession. 
obviously there's, there's, there's sterile possession. There's all sorts of sort of what you call bad possession or irrelevant possession. One of the reasons is that if you go a goal down, um, if the, 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 a lot of times the team that scores first, yeah. you know, unless they're, they're playing a bad team, they might have less possession simply because they'll do what James does, which is pretty logical, is you'll be a little bit more cautious, the other team will take more chance. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And they'll have more of the ball, right? You're not going to keep attacking when you're 2-0 up. But in and of itself, I, I don't know. I, Rory, let's get you on and say, well, what, do, do, you, do you think it, that there's this sort of outbreak of negativity and counterattacking? It happened in the Italian League in the 90s. This, this is the way. Well, the I'd Italian... say in the 70s, actually. Well, I wasn't old at <laughs> You can remember better than me. But it become, think... mistakes become so, they get punished so much that teams now, I, I was at whole Crystal Palace at the weekend and it was almost God, you know someone's going to have a shot on goal surely at God in the end but it was someone so frightened to make a mistake that everybody just gets behind the ball they plug all the, the, the spaces in and just become hard to break down you're not advertising think, the Premier League properly yeah. okay? <laughs> yeah. sorry Rory I know, help we, me we, we, we need to sell the goals don't we we need to sell the, exactly well, there's so many goals on, on news internationals just, just watch goals now, I think James is right I think that when ton of money and power and the rewards are so great that people are inherently more cautious, that's natural. But there's also a, there's two other things that I'd say are factors. One is, is kind of the tactical similarities between all of the teams. The teams can press the ball much more intensely for much longer. They can recover their position when they've lost the ball. And it does, it does make it much harder for, for one side to take advantage of a slip. And I think that is a factor in kind of creating an impression of caution, even if teams aren't necessarily trying to be cautious. There's also a shortage of thinking. Teams aren't thinking how to break each other down. Um, we couldn't just clarify, could we? Just to wrap it up, Gavin. I, mean, I know that's not your, your job, not mine, but I, I, I would like us to go back to the very beginning when Rory said it went wrong for Tottenham because they conceded within 15 seconds. Do not managers, when they're going to somewhere like the Etihad, where they score an average 106 goals per game at home think what they might do if they concede at the Etihad. I can't believe for one minute just the fact, the mere fact you concede a goal means you're 
plan goes out the window. You've got no, to allow for that, haven't you? Of course you do, of course you do, and of course, of course the Aspoas would have done, but I think to concede so early means that you, you might have a plan, and James will know much more about this than me, you might have a plan that centres on you know, keeping, keeping things quiet for the proverbial 20 minutes and then, then being a little bit more expansive and being a bit more adventurous. We've actually seen this season a lot of teams basically shut down for 45 minutes and then go out in the second half. I think Newcastle did it against Chelsea. Yeah. You go out in the second half and, and you, you, you start to play a little bit more because you've not necessarily lulled them into a false sense of security, but you, you've got to the half-time and now you can take a few more risks. But I, I just think just the goal was so early that Villas-Boas maybe didn't... It, 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 that, probably, that might have thrown plan A and, and plan B out of the window. The problem, the problem with early goals, sorry, the problem with early goals is all of a sudden now, Manchester City said, well, we don't have to come out now. You know, we've yeah. got the goal, we're in front, what are you, you going to do? Now, when I played in the Premiership and half the time it's for teams that were, were lower down, Managers used to say to us, you have to stay in the game. Now, it doesn't matter if you're... Even you can go 2-0 down. If you can be in the game with 20 minutes left, then we can change our, our tactics. I think Man City's... Uh, Tottenham's big problems at the weekend was the second and the third goal because at 3-0 down, you're not in the game anymore. You, you're not going to come back from that. All right. Um, I was hoping to talk more about Manchester City and the fact that they're going to win the title, but uh, Rory, with his selfish tactical debating, has taken up all our time. <laughs> so I just want to remind yeah, everybody, yeah. Vincent Company is going to come back and they'll think they'll get better defensively. Yes. Yeah, they lost at Sunderland. As, as impressive as they were uh, against, uh, uh, against uh, Spurs. Uh, 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 they, listen, the, the, the three of the four away defeats that they've had this season, right, should not have been defeats. They will regress to the mean. Yes? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that okay. I, I, I would still make the play better than the, the opposition, that's what matters. Eventually the results will come. Yes? But, but Pellegrini has to work out their margin for error, for error is getting smaller and smaller. Pellegrini has to work out how to play away from home before we can take these hugely impressive home performances as anything other than exceptions. And they were outplayed by Stoke. Yes, they were also outplayed by Bayern Munich at home. So there. So there. All right, on to our debate this week. Crystal Palace have a new manager. Um, we saw it coming. It's, it's a man named Tony Pulis, of course, the former Stoke boss. Conveniently, James, you played for Palace. You were at Palace this weekend. We'll talk specifically about Palace, and we'll talk a little bit about you know how you approach the, the, the relegation dogfight. But I like Ian Holloway a lot. I've worked with him. I know the guy. And I know Tony Pulis is his best friend. I believe his best man as well. Um, it strikes me that he plays a completely different brand of football. Can you just explain to me, if, if, A, if you believe that, and B, if that's the case, what are the club thinking, given that they have a team built by Pulis that's played a certain way, and then they go in a completely different direction? Tony Pulis's reputation has gone before him, and I think there's probably a lot of teams, you know, if you look at his record, and, you know, we taught points per game at clubs where they're sitting, you know, he did a fantastic job at Stoke. You, you, whatever you, t you say about Tony Pulis, his record no, at Stoke I'm not sorry, but I don't want to, sorry if I jump in here, but I'm going to be a bully here, but I want to debate whether Pulis is good or bad. We'll debate that later. But specifically, though, you have a team that's built a certain way to play a certain way. I mean, you agree that Ian Holloway plays a different style yeah. of football than Tony Pulis. I'm not saying one is better than the other. But this is my point. I, I actually think Tony Pulis's reputation isn't quite... If you, if you look at Stoke, there's one thing that, Everyone can remember, and that's Rory Delap's long throw. Now, if you have Rory Delap, you're going to use that, and it was very, very. But you sign Rory Delap. You sign all the big Burks. You sign Cameron Possibly. Jerome and Kenwin Jones, and you you spend all of uh, uh, all of Coates's money, right? I mean, this is a different situation. He has to work with with guys like Jedinak, like uh, like like all these guys that he's got now, right? But I think Jedinak and and the way 
Palace set up will actually play into his hands. My, my point was being is, if you actually look at the, the team, I think Stoke played a lot more football than people gave him credit for. If you look at their Jermaine Pennant on one wing, um, Etherington on the other. You know, Figo and Ronaldinho, man. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And I, and I think he'll come in, I think he'll make them very, very hard to beat, um, which, which they actually are. They don't concede many goals, Crystal Palace. It's two clean sheets now. Um, against two, you know, two good good sides really. Um, I just think he'll tinker with it. I think January will be a big, big month for him. I think he's been promised money, and he'll go out and spend it. He'll know what he wants, and yeah, he, he probably will make them a little bit more direct than than what they are. But listen, it's what is it, ninety million now to stay in the Premier League? It doesn't doesn't really matter how you do it. You just got to get over the line. See, Alison, to me, this is everything that's wrong. Um, not, not 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 Tony Pulis per se. This is a completely different set of players, and if it's if you're bringing in a new manager with the understanding that now he's got to go, you know, Pulis is coming and he has to spend money to bring in players who are more in line with his own tactical vision and you have to do it in mid-season. I almost kind of feel, why are you doing this? Is it not better to, if you believe that Pulis is the right person to take you forward, is it not better maybe to make the change in the summer and spend money in the summer where you can certainly get more value and you'll still have the parachute payments? Well, but if they're relegated in the summer... They'll still have the parachute payments. I mean, if you believe in Pew, I mean, at some point, like if you... I, I think if Crystal Palace is going to stay up, I think there's only probably someone like Tony Pulis can keep them up. You know, only so Tony Pulis can keep Palace up. Yeah, I think so. In but, the whole world. Well, who else? You name someone else who you think could keep them up. Who could keep them up? Yeah. Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, Sir Alex Ferguson. Right, so, so, <clears throat> so Pep Guardiola would come in with the players he's got and play an expansive way of football. I go well, to Man if, City if, if and the say, only way this is what we're going to do. We're going to have more possession than Man City. No, but if the only way Pulis is going to keep them up is by going and spending a, a bundle of cash in January, right? Because Not because he's, 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 he's bad, but because these players played a different way, were brought in by different managers, then... You know, anybody can do that. You know, you can give him enough money the, the, the and he's going to start staying up. The bottom right? line, I mean, it's risk and reward, isn't it? So if you're going to go and spend £20 million in January to recoup probably £100 million by staying up, right. it's risk and reward, isn't it? So so you look at it and you think, well, his, his record of buying players is actually very good. To Wilson Palacios? You know, he had some... He had some good players at Stoke. Stoke had the third highest net spend yeah. in uh, in the entire Premier League. Yeah. They had a higher net spend than everybody except for Manchester City and Chelsea in, in his last four years, I think, at Stoke. He's not going to get money at Palace. That's not... I think he's going to get more money than what you think. Do you think? Yeah, I do, yeah. James knows. Uh, I didn't say uh. that. Hey, well, James, let me ask you this, because you work with kids. The other thing is Palace have a reputation for, for having a very good uh, youth academy, right? Pulis, rightly or wrongly when he was at Stoke and maybe at Stoke the academy was rubbish and it's not his fault but he certainly didn't have that reputation he didn't bring many players many many local young players into into the first yeah. team is that a consideration that Palace Bar Southampton what Premier League club brings local players into their first team in the Premier League West Ham what recently Who, who's Noble Tompkins but if they maybe come in if they come into when they're in the championship I think Noble and Tompkins came in when they were in the top five. So you're saying, like, basically... I'm just saying now, it is so hard with the way clubs buy players. You get this 25-man rule, so everyone buys players in. I think it's so hard now for academy kids to come through into the Premier League. I think the system's blocked up, and I think it's very, very hard. The, the, the way they are now, Crystal Palace, I don't think... When, you, when you're a young player, when a young player comes in, he needs 10, 15, maybe 20 games to get used to first-team football, the pace of the game, his surroundings. I don't think they get that time anymore. Roy, are you Actually, buying I, this? I, I, well, I, I agree with James on that. I think there's, there's, a, there's a huge problem with 
with how young players come into into in, into into the Premier League. I think I think it is a massive problem, and I think that as Maurizio Pochettino said in an interview with Times at the weekend, that the issue is belief that people don't believe that young players can can do as well as as grizzled senior pros. And I think to be honest, if you looked at Palace, if if you're Crystal Palace and you're not producing young players in South London, which must be one of the most fertile grounds to, to find young players in Europe. They have 1.2, sorry, they have 1.2 million people within 20 miles, of, uh, 20 minutes of their football club. It's, exactly. the, best, it's the best yeah. pool in the country. There's no question about that. It, it, it is impossible not to produce players in, in South London, I would say, if you've got an even vaguely competent staff. Alison, we need your vote on this because I, I, well, I, 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 I think it's it's a completely demented decision. Not because really, again, really, yeah. it's not demented. I think it's 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 the best decision. Because <laughs> the best decision they, they could they, possibly they've made. They've taken a month to find somebody, which is too long. I mean, every day counts when you're trying to stay up. So it's that that is. I don't. Considering he was the first man. He was the first man. He was a bit worried. He was a bit worried about the commute. He wasn't entirely sure it was for him. And they toyed around with other names. People got scared of the fact that it, it looked like a lost cause. They've gone back to Pulis. It, part of the going back means his hand was strengthened, and I think James is right. That means he's probably, because they've had to go back to him, they've had to make bigger promises than they did when they first met him. He's a proud man. He likes right. the record that he's never taken anyone down. I mean, that. Why not appoint somebody who has that record of, of being good at staying in the, <laughs> the division they're got, in? Because, because he's it good at spending enormous amounts of money. Anybody, any schmo can do that when, when you have all the money that the coach has put for. I'm not saying he's a bad manager. There's people who spend a lot of money and have not stayed up. But the reality is there's no chance whatsoever that Palace can match Stoke spending, right? That's it's completely impossible. Right. On top of that, you have a situation... Well, I don't know, but Gab, his success at Stoke was not entirely built on spending. If you were to take a snapshot... Because snapshot. spent money. But like I said, not every manager, not just because you spend doesn't mean you stay up. But this is a situation where they won't be able to spend to the levels that, that QPR did or that, or that Stoke did. He's coming in in midseason. He won't have had preseason training with them. He has a bunch of guys who were signed by somebody who plays a different brand of football. On top of that, as Rory pointed out, if you take the longer view, this is a team that – this is a club that's traditionally spent a lot of money on, 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 on building its youth academy. And this is a guy who does not have a great record at bringing kids through. And if you buy James's line that, you know, well, look, there's no point because it's really difficult in the Premier League because the stakes are so high and it's difficult for a club like, like Palace to bring kids through, which I find incredibly depressing, by the way, if that's no, the I, case. I do as well. <laughs> exactly, give it your day job. Then, then fine. And then, then just shut the academy down and have him go and buy, like, you know, a, a bunch of players he likes every year. Yeah, this is the issue, isn't it? The, the basically, I, I think there's What's kind the of plan a... at Palace? Like, it, well, what is the plan? That, that, that is the problem. That Pulis, I, I think Pulis is a good manager. Uh, what he does, he's a good manager. He will. Palace are relatively well organised anyway. He'll make them very difficult to beat. All that normal stuff that we hear about managers who get hired for relegation battles. The question is, is it better for Palace to kind of say, right, well, do you know what we want? Is, is We maybe won't stay in the Premier League this year. Maybe we'll go down and with the parachute payments and the huge weight of talent that we've got in our academy because of the, the kind of the random geographical boom that we're, that we're in the middle of South London. We will use the parachute payments to invest in the academy, invest in more young players, and we will come back into the Premier League in a year's time. All right, enough of this nonsense. Time for some quick hits. Oh, and James, you need to get the rules on this because it's your first time. Unfortunately, people have done this many times who still don't know the rules. You have to answer the question in 25 seconds or less. 
Wayne Rooney boots Jordan Much and should have had himself sent off. Am I right? And speaking of red cards, as far as I can tell, uh, you haven't had many in your career. In fact, I only counted two. But I do remember one at White Hart Lane when you viciously and psychotically assaulted Mauricio Tarico. Can you talk a little bit about Rudy, but then tell us the Tarico story and feel free to take long 25 seconds. I think it's funny because I remember what happened afterwards. Should Wayne Rooney got sent off? Yes, he should have done. The Mauricio Tarico incident, it was actually similar to uh, Morales. The ball bounced. Um, he's a little bit smaller than me, so uh, I've stuck my leg up and uh, just caught him slightly above the waist height. But he was a, a former teammate of mine, and he's, I think, eight forward rolls he did didn't really help my case. And I remember Mickey Adams going absolutely apoplectic afterwards. Yeah, he was I extremely think, angry. Yeah, and I think um, he was actually okay with me at the time, if I can remember rightly. It was a big game. No, at I think the time. he was angry at Tariqo, not yeah, with you. Yeah, and it was one of those. Was that was that, that was the only straight red of your career, right? No, 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 no. Hey, I looked in the last since two thousand one. You could you could have picked out a lot, a lot of worse cases. It's weird. Than no, that. actually, just as an aside, since I look back, I my stats went back to two thousand one. I only saw two red cards. One was for Palace, I think, against Brighton, which was two yellows. No, I got but, sent off a couple of times for Ipswich in the nineties. Okay, but I was in the 90s. That was, you know, as the Premier League just getting started. Didn't really count. Now, speaking of the Cardiff United game, we witnessed more brilliance from Mr. Vincent Tan, uh, proving to everybody that his decision to get rid of that layabout was correct and appointing the brilliant Uzbek. But um, anyway, that's nothing new. So let's talk United. Patrice Evra was brutally honest, saying that they didn't deserve more than a point and that until Welbeck came on, they created nothing. All right, right. I, as a journalist, I find this honesty so refreshing. I'm assuming we probably wouldn't have seen this last season when there was a different Scottish manager in charge at Old Trafford. You'd be tempted to say not, but then Everett is quite a plain-speaking sort of, sort of chap, really. He's, he's not afraid to, uh, to, to say what he thinks. He's not afraid to, to criticise people when he feels it's necessary. So, yeah, it's maybe not the sort of thing that would have happened under, under 30, but then perhaps United wouldn't have played like that under 30. Uh, Alison, Arsenal defeats Southampton 2-0 to extend their lead in what you called a tart-to-tan type of game. Uh, for those of us uh, not so well-versed in the uh, dessert arts, would you care to elaborate and uh, maybe even take a free swing at poor old Archer Boric, since everybody seems to seems to enjoy ridiculing him. Uh, well, I'm always I'm always thinking about food. That's why I mentioned tartatan. Tartatan is an upside down cake, and it was an upside down sort of game in that Southampton were the passing team and the composed team, and Arsenal were just prepared to let them do what they do and then try and catch them on the break. It was a sort of not what you expect to see from Arsenal, um, and it worked. And but it worked because of a absolutely appalling mistake by the Southampton goalkeeper. And he made a joke about it afterwards, I think. I think he posted a picture of Johan Cruyff. Um, I think that was misguided. He, uh, he, he needs to make a huge apology to his teammates. Chelsea roll over West Ham 3-0 and all is well again at the bridge. Uh, James Frank Lampard Jr. scores two goals and he's 35 years old. He's on track to uh, uh, get double figures and goals for, what, like the 25th time in his career since the age of 10 or something. Can you share some insights on how a midfielder's, central midfielder's, particular goal-scoring central midfielder's game needs to change as you as you age? Well, I wouldn't say Frank's game has, has changed because he's done it all his career, really. But I think, you know, the, the, the point you're trying to make, you can't run around like you once did. So you have to read the game. But it just comes with experience. And, and Frank's so experienced now as a player. His awareness of space around him and, and when 
to sort of follow the ball, when to support the ball. For example, his second goal, he's just let it develop, seen one or two passes in front of him, created the space and just run into the space. And it's a great finish there. I, I think his football brain... You know, it's absolutely superb. And like you said, at 35, pl- players look after themselves. I think it's off the pitch really now where um, 24-7, you know, the, the facilities clubs have now, it, it's ice baths afterwards. They wear compression shorts and tights after games to keep the blood flowing. And, and the, the sports science behind it now is, is fantastic. And that would help Frank as well. But his football brain is, is, is superb. And that football brain allows him to conserve yeah. energy and yeah. avoid injury. Now, that's eight goals and nine starts now for Loic Remy as Newcastle win again. And some even start talking Champions League. Rory, give me a percentage chance. We'll see the tune in the Champions League draw next year. Zero percent. Uh, thank you. <laughs> and at around 10 million, does it make sense to make Remy's deal permanent? Yeah, definitely on that one. Absolutely. I think Remy's done really well. Um, and he he is he, he's kind of what they need, Newcastle. Just he's, he's taking the pressure off Papi Sisse, who's not grid kicked on after that, that first sort of impressive six months that he had um, and Remy's, Remy's a, pr- a proper poacher he can, he can play wide he can play on either flank looks like a great bit of business by that uh, transfer market mastermind uh, Joe Kinnear but no I don't think Newcastle to be honest I don't think they should even be thinking about Europe I think they're ninth now I think uh, and everyone in the top I think there's something like seven points between the top nine which is, which is great for the league but yeah, Newcastle are not going to finish in the Champions League places and they would do well not to start thinking that they are because that might be quite distracting. Stoke defeats Sunderland, but Gus Poyet goes ballistic following the decision to send off Wes Brown. Robbie Savage says it's the worst decision he has ever seen. Alison, you're the qualified ref here and I think we've been extremely lenient towards referees on this programme, uh, but please explain. I can only guess that Kevin Friend saw it as dangerous intent. You don't have to only send someone off because a leg has been broken. In fact, there are cases where a leg can be broken and it's not a red card offence. But the speed at which Wes Brown approached Charlie Adam probably looked a little bit scary. And although it ended up being a good tackle by a player who's come back and given Sunderland hope that they could stay up because he's that classy, everyone's been, oh my goodness, what a dreadful mistake. But I can sort of see how the referee... Because it's all about interpretation when it comes to what colour card you give. You have to decide if it's just careless, reckless or dangerous. If he thinks it was dangerous, it doesn't matter that Charlie Adam didn't break his leg. He's he's allowed allowed within his remit as what he's briefed as doing as a referee to show him a red card. I I shall ask you a question, Gav, because I love to do that. Thank you. Huge game in Germany. A replay of the Champions League final as Borussia Dortmund took on Bayern. So how did it all go? Um, I could answer, but I think Rory can provide us a better answer because he was actually there. Yes, I was, yes. Uh, oh, Rory, Rory, pass it on to James now and then, then, and then pass it back to me and then I'll pass it to the producer. No, because then you... It makes perfect sense that I ask Gab the question, doesn't it? Alison, it's Titty Chatter answering the questions. That's, that's what it is. It's, <laughs> it's appropriate. Um, I, yeah, I'd, I'd like to know what Gab thinks, but I thought Bayern looked really good. Dortmund, you could tell their... Um, their, first, their entire first choice back four wasn't there, which was a huge shame. They did all right for 60 minutes. Lewandowski had another kind of off night. They did, they did miss a load of chances. But the, the difference was that when Guardiola brought on Goethe and Thiago Alcantara, uh, Dortmund, he kept changing the, the system around. Dortmund couldn't quite track it. And it kind of just opened up the, the gaps a little bit because both sides, had, until that point, pressed so intensely that it was quite hard to, to see a winner emerging. It's a buy-in. That, they're seven points clear at Dortmund, four points clear at Leverkusen. That's the Bundesliga wrapped up. Uh, I would suggest that it would be very unwise to bet against them for the Champions League. 
That's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for joining us, and thanks also to my panel, Alison Rudd, Rory K. Smith, and uh, making a wonderful debut for us, James Scowcroft. Don't forget, you can catch the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else simply by downloading the Times app to your smartphone. Please check out details for our live shows via the links on our SoundCloud page. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter, right? Ali Rudd Times. Rory Smith Times, right? Are you on Twitter, James? I am indeed, yes. Um, SCOE1975, S-C-O-W-Y-1975. S-C-O-W-Y-1975. Wonder where you got the 1975 from. Uh, Till next week, take care. Bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. You're away.